Oh, hi, my name's Diane. I'm a grateful member of the Worldwide Fellowship of Al-Anon. My home group is the uh, Brentwood Al-Anon Family Groups and the Path of Hope in Brentwood, Tennessee. Um, I have a sponsor. I have sponsees. I uh, attend meetings, and I do service. The, you know, for me, that that's the, the work, you know, do the steps and doing all this stuff. Um, it, it makes me an Al-Anon. Uh, not just because I'm married to someone who's an alcoholic or my child or my, you know, a child of. Um, I, I do service. I do regular meetings on a regular basis, and I'm just so grateful to be here, just so grateful and honored. Um, I want to thank the committee. I want to thank Brian for asking us. I'm so grateful that we actually got to be in person at, at a real conference. And um, the committee, I know what it takes to put this on, and I just can't imagine having to delay it and delay it and delay it year after year. And, the, you know, the people that have gone through so much to um, – put this on still and we're here and we're here and if you're here I'm just so grateful thank you for staying and and thank you to the speakers that have already spoken Um, Kim uh, did a wonderful kickoff last night my husband Mike if you didn't get his CD again the tapers you know please uh, give them uh, the um, for the great the gratitude for being here and taping these things and so that we can carry on um, our messages to, to the newcomers. Um, Mike uh, had a story last night, and a lot of people say, I can't wait to hear yours now, so to, to see how I lived through all that and um, <laughs> got through it, and now we're still married. Uh, Monday, we will be married 46 years. <laughs> That's only because of y'all, you know. <laughs> We would not be here if it wasn't for AA and Al-Anon and Alateen. And um, uh, Chip, wonderful story, gosh, you know. We can, get, we can get through anything, can't we? You know, this program gets us through anything. And, and you know, because we're here and we're in, pro- in recovery doesn't mean that life's not going to happen to us. And as a lot of people in the last, you know, year have lost a lot of people. We've lost people in this program. We've lost a lot of family members and friends. Um, but we're here, you know, grateful for the program that we can get through anything. Um, I'm looking forward to Krista and Dave and Andrea's talks, too. You know, we don't like to miss any of that. Um, I, I just never know who's sending me a message. And, and so for me, I always, my, my sponsor used to say, it would take a, a minute before, a few seconds, excuse me, uh, just to invite your higher power here. And if you have not done that, please do that you can ask your higher power to send the message through me. Um, I'm just hopefully just a channel here for y'all. I don't prepare anything before I get up here. I just ask to be, you know, that channel for you to pass on the message that was passed on to me. So I'm grateful for to be here, and so um, I'm going to ask my higher power to do that, uh, if you'll do the same for just a second. Thank you. I've got to take me out of this. You know, our egos, we have an ego too. And they'll want to take over and make me a big shot, but I'm not. You know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just you. And then um, I, I was uh, raised and um, born into a, a huge family. I'm number eight of 12. Um, and from the oldest to the youngest is 12 and a half years. So my parents were busy. And uh, I am a twin also. There are two sets of twins. I have a fraternal sister, 
And uh, this is, uh, these are all my sisters on my water bottle. That's, uh, I've got, I had four brothers too. One passed away uh, in this, while I was in this program and y'all got me through that. Uh, But I have a wonderful family of origin, but I want to say when Mike and I come and do these things, you are my family. You really are my family. Uh, You know more about me than my family does. Um, I I can tell you things that I know you won't judge me. You won't, you know, criticize or, you know, uh, leave because of whatever. And uh, you are my family. You're just people I haven't met yet that are my relatives, I feel like. So thank you for being here. Again, raised in a a big family. We had uh, my dad provided for us and and gave us lots to do around our house. We, you know, could swim, play tennis, ride horses, everything. He kept us around doing, you know, chores and all that stuff. But we were talking to somebody about yesterday, farmers, you know, they have lots of kids so they can help take care of things. And that's what we did. We took care of things. And I was raised to take care of things take care of my younger brothers and sisters, you know, take care of the house, do all those things that prepared me for this program. (laughs) We managed a lot, and uh, my dad uh, was the the disciplinarian, and it was, you know, wait till your dad gets home. My mom just kind of stayed busy uh, taking care of all of us and loved us, you know, the best way. I used to say, I don't remember a lot of hugs or I love yous and all that stuff. And as I've grown up in this program, I've learned, you know, she didn't have enough arms with uh, 12 kids always at home most of the time. And uh, and there were always the neighbor's kids, everybody. It was always like 16 at our house. Our table sat 16. And that usually was full every night. You know, everybody would stay over. We'd all have our friends or whatever. So there was always people. I- I'm used to crowds and people put me by myself, and I'm very uncomfortable. And... Uh, so I, I would stay busy, and I, I'm, like Mike said, he calls me Sparky because I'm busy, and I still, I, I don't sit very well. <laughs> I'm a busy person, which is good because I can be busy in this program. It did teach me that. Um, I, I remember growing up with alcohol in the household. My dad had in his library, he had a bar. He had his own little room, was the bar, and uh, he taught us how to make his drinks. He had gin and tonics, and he taught us how to do that. So when he would come home from a hard day's work, he would he would sit in his uh, little chair. We'd bring him dinner, and we'd wait on him, and um, we'd fix his drink. He'd have one or two, but I never remember ever seeing him drunk. Uh, my mom, she's like me. She's little, and she would have a drink, like, for a party or a wedding or whatever, and she would have one or two drinks and just be silly, you know. And that's kind of me. I have one or two drinks, and I don't want to. I don't want any more because I, I start feeling it. <laughs> I know that's weird for y'all, but I just like it. I stop there. That's all I want. Is I don't want. I don't like the feeling beyond that. I, I don't like what makes me feel. I don't sleep well. I don't get up well. I don't. I don't know how y'all do it. I, I think, it, like they said, you have to go past that. But I, I, I can't ever make it past that much. I think I probably did in college with. As Mike said, that you know the, the drugs and stuff were around, and I probably drank more then because I had other stuff. But I, I never liked the feeling. I always was afraid I'd do something and be embarrassed the next day. So <laughs> I'm a control freak, I tell you, and I care about what you thought of me and stuff. So 
I had sisters and, and brothers that would do that and go past that limit and get sick and and be embarrassed and do crazy things, and the next day we'd have to tell them. And, and they were my little example of, you know, what you do and what you don't do and how to not do it. And so I remembered that, and I would say, okay, I'm not going to be like them, and I won't drink that much or I won't do whatever they did. But I was one of those people, too, that at peer pressure, I did what you were doing. I ended up, you know, drinking because you were drinking. I ended up doing drugs because you were doing drugs. I wanted to be a part of and, you know, I was, I was always a part of my family. It wasn't a question of that. But you were kind of, you could be invisible there, too. And uh, with so many people around, you kind of knew how to hide and to, to stay out of trouble and to, to be good. I, I, was, I, I lived in fear. Fear ruled my life growing up. Um, I didn't do things because of fear. I was afraid I would go to hell or I would do this or I'd get caught and my dad would, you know, whatever. I, I, I was a good girl because of fear, you know, and I'm grateful today. You know, I'm glad I had that fear because no telling where I would have been or ended up because I did do a lot of things that, you know, when I got into college. I did go to a school that, you know, was all-girls high school, and it was really nice. I loved being able to, to just not care what you looked like, no makeup. You put rollers in your hair. The nuns didn't care. They didn't know what you were doing. And after school, we'd run over to the high school where the boys were, and, uh, you know, then we'd look good. So, but <laughs> when we got out of school. But all those, those years were just a formative years for me in learning some values. And I'm, I'm grateful that I, was, I learned that, those, those things. When I grew up, I went to church. We had to. And, but when I went to, you know, I had the boyfriends. I had the fraternities. I had the sororities. All that fun stuff. I remember just life being fun. Parties, high school we drank, you know, the boys always drank. I never saw bad consequences of alcohol. So to me, there was nothing that we were just like the social drinkers. And, and my parents, you know, they never, I never saw any negative thing about that. So um, why I married an alcoholic, I think grandparents on either side um, had a problem. I found out later after my mom had passed from an aunt that her father was one of the weekend bingers, and uh, they would have to go get him in the bar and all that kind of thing. So I think my mom was raised a non-treated, uh, untreated Al-Anon uh, in that family disease. And so I, we were just good caretakers. We took nurses, teachers. We all became, you know, people that took care of people. And that's what I was told to do. You know, I was supposed to take care of people. And so when I got to college, it was the... The, the birdcage was opened, and I've no parents, no church, nothing. I, I, I went wild. I decided, you know, that was the 70s where the culture, you know, was hippie. I became one of those hippies, and it was just, it was fun. It was so much fun. I, you know, I didn't go for an education. Um, I did, but I didn't really, you know. I found myself at the fraternity house more than I was in classes, uh, you know, I didn't join a sorority. I joined a fraternity. Um, they were more fun. You know, the guys were much more fun. The girls, they didn't have a uh, They had just a, a, a room and a, a dorm th- kind of thing, and the boys had a house, a fraternity house, where you could go and party all the time. And uh, my brothers were in that fraternity, so it was, it was like family. They became my family. But it was, you know, my grades were just... Uh, ridiculous they were you know I got on probation after the second year 
And um, I went to find him. I really did. I can look back and see that now. That, you know, I'll do just like my mom did. You know, you get married and you have kids and raise the family and life will be great. I met Mike the second year when I was in college. He was at the opposite end of the um, state. And we had a mutual friend who introduced us. And it was just on after that. We met spring break. He he came up to, to Knoxville where I was in school. I went down to Memphis to see him. And I quit college after that. It was like, it's I'm, you know, I found him. And <laughs> no more looking, no more worried about anything. He, he, you know, we'd get married and everything would be great. Now, I didn't know that I was doing all that. But, you know, I told my parents, I, I'm, I'm the kind of person that I want to look good. So in Edward, I wouldn't tell my parents, you know, I'm going to quit college because I think I, Mike and I might get married and stuff. And I just want to live happily ever after. And that you know, I'm done. I, you know, I told them that it would be great because they wouldn't have to pay for one more in college. I was number eight, so there were still, you know, four in college. And he wouldn't have to pay for me. I could get my own place. He wouldn't have to pay for my upkeep. I could take care of myself. One less problem to worry about. And I don't remember my parents say, no, 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 you've got to finish college. Um, because, you know, I don't remember any of that. It may have, may have happened, but I don't remember it. So I quit. And I got a job, and I moved in with that girl that introduced us, and uh, she quit college too, and, and we lived in our own, 19, all on our own, in a little duplex, and party, you know, all the time. And life was grand, I thought. Um, went, went for two years, Mike and I, and I, of course, I was just, I plan everything, take care of everything, and, and then we, we had fun. So two years into it, he broke it off with me. And he wouldn't tell me why. So, as I say, I was the hippie. And I said, you know, it's like que sera, sera was a, a big song back then and that I remember. And it was like, okay, if we're meant to be, we'll be, I'll just have fun anyway. So I went on, had other boyfriends, moved in with another friend. And that was even a bigger party scene. My, I, I seemed to attract people that like to have fun. <laughs> I like to have fun, so y'all are the best, y'all, as I said, the best ones to have fun with, usually. But, but and my sister moved in with us, and we would just have parties every weekend, you know, we worked hard, and we'd play hard. And my, um, Mike, we remained friends, and that's a good way to kind of keep them around. And... <laughs> I'm just telling you how sick I was, okay? And you heard, you heard some of it last night from Mike, but I would make sure he would be invited. To, he'd always let him know parties on, you know, at my house, or at the, our apartment and stuff, and he'd always show up with some of his friends, but never the girlfriends or anything like that. He'd always come with some of his guys, and I'd always have the boyfriend around and pretend I didn't see him or, you know, act like I was having the best time with other people. And... Um, just letting him know what he was missing kind of thing. <laughs> I, you know, I was having fun. And so a, a year into it, like Mike says, you know, he, he got his wisdom teeth out and he was on drugs. And it was a, like a truth serum. And he, and he got me over there to, uh, you know, his office manager called. And I went over immediately. You know, that's how sick I was. You know, he'd broken up with me. And... Um, 
the, uh, my dad, I was working for my dad at this time. He said, where are you going? I said, I've got to go over and take care of Mike. And he said, didn't y'all break up? And I was like, oh, yeah, but he needs me. That's the Al-Anon call. If you ever want somebody to come, you need them. If they're Al-Anon, they're going to come right to you. So it was like I told my dad, I said, you know, I've got a lunch break. I'll go over. I said this, you know, he needed somebody to, to be around him, and I couldn't be there the whole day, so I called some of his friends to come over and take care of him till I could come back that night and take care of him. Um, and, and I forgot to tell you, for those of you that didn't, weren't here last night, um, I did have a boyfriend living with me at the time <laughs> in my apartment. So it, I told Mike I'd come back and bring him dinner. So, and that's all I'd planned to do. But see, he'd already told me he loved me and he wanted me back and all this stuff on writing, and I had it in writing. And <laughs> So... But I told him there was a the problem as the boyfriend over there. There's a little bit of a problem there. Because I'm a commitment person. You know, if I'm committed to you, I'm, I'm, I'm true. And I went home and after work and told that boyfriend that I was just taking dinner over to Mike. I'd be right back. And he was like, well, if you go, I'm not going to be here when you come back. And I said, see, I told him I would be there. And if I tell you I'm going to do something, to this day, I'm usually going to do it unless I've had to go to the hospital or something. If I, if I say yes, I mean yes. And I said, I will be right back. There's nothing to it. I'm going to take him dinner. Now, this has taken me a while because we've been married 46 years now um, to figure out if he's had four wisdom teeth out, does he need dinner that night? <laughs> I can't figure out what it was I would have had to take him. That he could have eaten, probably soup or something, but my, my other brain was taking over, I think, and, you know, I just said, I will be right back, I'm taking him dinner, and I did, I took him dinner, and I came right back, and the boyfriend was gone, and that was a breakup I didn't have to do, because he left me, and that ultimatum, don't give me an ultimatum, that's not a good idea, because I'm going to challenge you on it, but he was gone, and that opened the door from. Mike and I, to get back together. He wanted me back. So, as he says, two days later, I moved in with him. <laughs> and somehow, I think my mom got wind of it, probably because back then you didn't have caller ID and you'd answer the phone when somebody called. And um, I remember answering the phone one morning at his apartment, and it was his mom. And I think his mom didn't say anything, but I think he told, she told my mom my mom called me and said, I want to talk to you, you know, are you living with Mike? And I was like, well, I guess you already know you asking me the question. And, and I'd already been on my own living in an apartment away from college, you know, I've been it's like four years, three years into this. And I said, yes, I am. You know, I said, we broke up, and I don't know why. I don't know if I can live with this man and, or whether I want to. So I'm trying it out first. And see if, if we can get together and be together and like each other, you know, 24-7. Because we didn't do that before, you know, when we broke up the, two, the year before. And so I used to say that my mom disowned me. But looking back, I'm thinking probably it was too hard for her to, to see me. She, she, didn't, she didn't agree with that. 
And I know today, after my sisters and stuff, when we get together for sisters' weekends once a year, talking to them, I know because I was number eight, which is number five girl, that my mom had been through some things with my older sisters that she'd seen them go through that, that was painful for her, and she didn't want me to go through those things. Same thing. She knew what could happen. And so she was just trying to protect and love me the best way that she knew how. So we didn't see each other for a while because she told me, she said, well, he'll never marry you now. He doesn't need a piece of paper. So, and I said, well, if that's the case, you know, I'll figure that out. And, but I've got to know it for myself. I, just because you say it, I can't, I don't believe it. And so I had to have my own experience with that. Well, three months into it, of course, Mike, again, on drugs usually, he um, asked me to marry him out of the blue. And so I was ecstatic. And we went over to my parents, and they, um, he asked my dad, you know, for my hand and stuff. He, and I was outside with my mom, and I guess we were okay then because I knew she was going to be happy for me because we were getting married, and that's all she wanted. So they came out and said, you know, I was, we were getting married, and my mom was, everything was fine. It was like nothing, nothing had split between us those three months that we'd, we'd been apart. But, you know, life was grand. We got married three months later. It was one of those things where you could put weddings together really quick. And we did. And then it was like, okay, now we're, the world's going to be fine. You know, we were both working. We um, found a house after a couple of years and moved in. And then I was, like, ready to have kids. And I said, we, I used to say, we decided it was time to have children. Mike says, I decided it was time to have kids. He doesn't remember being a part of that equation, but like everything, I would make the plan, and we'd carry it out. So we had our first son. Three years later, we had a, sec- a second son, and life was great. I just poured myself into being a mom. I loved being a mom. I'd quit work for those years that they were young and just was a total mom. I, things started getting hard you know, Mike's, as he said, he, he started doing some crazy things. The drinking was, I was drinking with him. We were drinking, you know, a bottle of wine a night or something. I'd have a glass or, in, or a half or whatever, and he would have it. And His drinking was, to me, I didn't know how much he'd have. It was keeping him on that normal level for him, keeping the alcohol there. And so he would tell me sometimes, God, I've had too much to drink. And I'd say, really? I can't tell. I never could tell if he was drunk or not. But his, his behavior started changing, and, and we started having issues. And we didn't confront each other. We didn't talk. We didn't communicate in that way. We didn't know. I didn't know how to communicate. Growing up, I never saw my parents argue. One time, they argued in front of us. And my mom threw something at my dad and walked out of the house, and all the little children walked out after her like little ducklings, saying, you know, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave, you know, we need you. And, of course, she, she was just going in the backyard to get, get mad or whatever. She was furious at my dad for something. And so that was, that was I figured, how, how you communicate. You don't, you don't, you hold it in. And in my household growing up, I wasn't allowed to get angry. You weren't allowed to talk back. You weren't allowed to do anything like that, you know, was controversial or conflicts. So I had no tools to do that. So when there was a conflict or something, I'd say something to Mike. You know, he came in late or whatever. 
it would always end up that I would end up apologizing at the end of that confrontation. So I finally got really smart, and I thought, well, I'm not going to do that anymore because I end up the one, you know, always apologize. It's always my fault somehow, you know, because he's working hard, and I'm staying home with the kids, and, you know, I'm just ungrateful or whatever. But he wasn't saying that. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that he ever said that. But that's what my, my crazy mind did. But it was to the point that I was seeing, there were red flags before when we dated, but those were, we were just dating. We weren't married then, so I didn't pay any attention to those. He could always explain those away. And so when those red flags started popping up in the marriage, um, I would just stuff them down. I wouldn't say anything. I would maybe question where he'd been or whatever, but I would always talk myself out of anything I saw, you know. That's how, how I can do it. Uh, when we started having problems and not communicating and he was started going through a lot of his depression and stuff, I thought I could keep him happy. That was my job, to keep him happy. And uh, then, you know, he, he became suicidal, and or it would talk about that. And I had two little boys at home, and I just couldn't deal with that. And so I really tried to be the best wife, the best cook, the best lover, the, you know, the, the school mom, the den mom, the uh, church mom, everything. I just tried to be it all and hide and run and, and just be busy so I didn't have to look at what was happening at home. And as it goes, this disease, it gets progressively you know, worse. Um, I used to use a lot of tools that I don't recommend today. Uh, manipulation, control, and um, anger, whatever it is. I use those, in or, or guilt. I thought maybe maybe we're drinking too much. Maybe we're partying too much. Maybe there's drug. You know, let's get away from that kind of stuff. And I would always tell Mike, I would say, um, let's quit drinking for a little while, for Lent or whatever. Let's quit. And just see, you know, make sure that we're okay because it's not really healthy to, to be doing all this drinking. And so I would always say we, so I wouldn't be pointing the finger at him because I would do it along with him because for me to stop drinking was no big deal. And he would do it. He would pass that test. He could, he could stop those six weeks or whatever. And I'd say, huh, that wasn't the problem. So what's the problem? I couldn't figure it out. It was like... All these things that were happening just didn't make sense. He, he started doing the crazy things, and I would just support him. I was supposedly the supportive wife. I didn't question things. If he did something that I thought, why are you doing that? You know, the thing about the trees and the surveying and the going to court and all that, I just stood by. And I said, you know, I would just think he's always right, or I had to be always supporting him. I didn't ever question him on that. And I was just the kid's mom. I was his wife. I was my parents' daughter. I didn't know who I was. I was just somebody else to, you know, help whatever part of my disease. It ended up when he he had been to doctors and all that kind of stuff, and he kept passing all the tests about drinking and that I would think, and so that's, you know, I would say if, if he could stop drinking, then it's not a problem. That's not the problem. And so I'd say, well, 
something is, but I couldn't figure it out. He'd go to the doctors and get on more pills. And that wouldn't help because he was drinking along with that when he wasn't supposed to be. But, you know, all those things, I wasn't, I didn't know how much he was drinking outside of my sight, you know, at work, out in his garage, you know, with the guys before, after, you know, whatever. I didn't know how much he was drinking. And the time that he quit for those eight months um, and went off, he didn't tell you, but he went off with my brothers and my, no, my, my brother-in-laws. So they all went out to party. They actually came up to a, a, a baseball game and Mike was the designated driver because he wasn't drinking. You know, he'd stopped for eight months and they put him as the designated driver for them. They went to a bar and they put a drink in front of him, even though he ordered water and he drank it and that was it. He was off to the races. He didn't know it. He thought, God, it was just one drink, and it didn't hurt him. So why couldn't he have two or three or four? He hadn't had tequila in a while. How about tequila? How about beer? Whatever. And he calls me that night, drunk. Of course, I could tell it in his voice. And he couldn't figure out why I wasn't happy for him. He was having such a great time with my brother-in-laws. And I just wanted to blame those brother-in-laws for putting a a drink in front of him. It was their fault. It wasn't Mike's. He wouldn't have done that. He was, but, but he realized when he came home, he just quit for those eight months. It was crazy. Why was he quitting? It didn't hurt him. So he just went back to drinking. And of course, as they say, when people stop drinking without a program, without any help, things do usually get worse. It was very uncomfortable. And so he was happier drinking. So I go for it. But the, the insanity is, I, you know, I just kept taking care of the kids and, and being a good mom and trying to be a good mom, trying to be a good wife. And when he did the, the last thing with telling me, you know, he was gonna, what he was going to do to his dad's car, and I was like, God did for me what I couldn't do for myself. I always had an answer how to fix everything. If he had a problem at work or a problem with his parents or a problem here, I'd tell him how to fix it because in our family, we can fix it all. We grew up fixing everything. And you have to know everything, too, in my family. And it's funny, I'm around my sisters today, or, and, and they know so much. I don't know how they know it, but they do. And, of course, that was me. I knew everything. I knew how to fix things. But when he came home and said, you know, he was going to shoot a car, I was like, don't have an answer for that one. Um, <laughs> I think you need to go really talk to a, a, you know, a professional. And he did. And I'm so grateful that he did because they sent him to the addictionologist that when he pointed out, finally, he pointed out, you know, said that, you know, Mike's an alcoholic and has been for 15 years. I was like, I was ready to cheer. He, he couldn't believe they'd sit in front of me thinking, you know, that would be horrible. But for me, there was an answer. There's an answer, you know. The insanity that was going on in the household. Of course, I was taking out all my anger on my kids. I was doing stuff. You know, because I was afraid, the fear was, you know, I was afraid he'd divorce me if I got angry with him or questioned him on something or confronted him about something. I didn't want that. So I was, the anger has to come out somewhere. The fear has to come out somewhere. So my kids were the innocent victims. And I didn't ever lay my hands on them, but one time when my son was doing drugs and stuff, and that's the only time I ever had to to, to um, hit my child for, for safety for myself, but... I was like, that's an answer. I can, now I can fix it. You know, we didn't have Google back then. You couldn't Google the symptoms of alcoholism. 
you know, everything I thought I knew, again, I thought I knew, that's that stuff, I know everything, um, was, was false. So I asked the doctor, I said, what can I do? <laughs> How can I fix this? And he said, pack his bags. And I didn't want that. I wanted him at home. I had two young boys. I needed him at the house. I, at this time, had uh, gone back to work part-time. The boys were in school, and so I was working part-time because I was afraid that we would probably get divorced. And I didn't want that. I was fighting everything I could to, to keep it from being divorced. My, um, you know, he went into treatment, and I went to a family week. And when I did, they gave me this Al-Anon book, my one day at a time. And uh, I learned the word enabling. All that fixing and helping that I'd done, I was just enabling the disease. And keeping it, you know, going longer and longer and longer. And so they told me to go to Al-Anon meetings. And so I, they actually had me sign a piece of paper that I'd go to Al-Anon meetings. I was like, I, it, you know, I put my name on paper, so I'm going to go. And I thought y'all tell me how to keep him sober. So I thought, well, okay, I'll go to those four or six meetings, and, and they'll tell me the secret to keeping him sober. Because that's the problem. It's alcoholism. I already found out. Didn't know about my disease. Because, look, I'm the mom. I'm the den mom. I'm running the house. I'm, paying, I'm doing everything while he's working. Because he was working hard and, and playing hard at the same time. And it was, uh, the, I went to that first al and I meeting, and, and I couldn't hear what they were talking about. They were talking about they had a disease and that they were sick. And for me, I didn't want to get sick, and I didn't want their disease, so I didn't come back to that meeting. I was like, <laughs> why would I want to come back here? You guys are sick. That's all I could hear. And then went to the second meeting. Gratefully, they had a newcomer meeting where they talked about the first steps, and they walked us through the steps, and we went through that newcomer meeting, a group of us, for six weeks. You stayed in the newcomer meeting, and it was wonderful. They could actually talk and and uh, it was I, so I love new, I love doing newcomer meetings now, you know where they can sit and ask questions one on one and find out what this sickness is, what this disease is, and how we can get better. And my job is to give people hope because I didn't have any hope at the time when I walked in these doors. I finally, finally could hear as I kept going to those meetings because I that one hour. Sitting in that room, I had such peace. And, and it was like I wouldn't worry. Or, I was the queen of worry. But during that hour, I was just listening. And, and I didn't really relate to a lot of things. But people would share things that would slip in. And I'd think, oh, someone would say, talk about the being living in the fear of suicide and stuff. And I'm like, oh, I remember that. Where did that go? I did. I used to have that. I, all these fears they talk about are emotions. I think, I felt that, but I had stuffed it so deep and hidden it. I'd totally forgotten about all that until I heard it in the rooms. And uh, people shared about the infidelity that was going on in their marriage and stuff. And I remember just hearing that. Not that it had happened to my house. It couldn't happen in my house. Um, but when it finally did come out, when Mike was rigorously honest with me that night, um, it was, that was my bottom. That's what I needed to get here, to really open up and pour myself into a program. I actually, then I 
went to that person that shared about that in that meeting, and we had coffee, and we talked, and I said, how did you do it? How did you stay? And then I went and I got a sponsor. I, you know, I heard people sharing about working the steps and getting better, and, and I wanted that because I was seeing, I was witnessing Mike going to all those meetings every day, working with the sponsor, doing the steps. I was seeing him getting better, but I wasn't feeling any better. You know, my life was still the same because I wasn't doing anything but sitting my butt in a meeting. I was doing no service work. I wasn't doing a sponsor. I wasn't doing the steps. And when I finally hurt bad enough, I finally realized, you know, that I was sick too and that I needed help. Could I start opening up and pouring myself into this and start seeing the changes? I asked my kids to go to Alateen. At that time, they had a ala kid at the meeting where I went, and they loved it. They actually got to go and talk to other kids that the craziness that was going at home that didn't make sense, you know, why mom was the crazy one, but dad was the alcoholic, um, all those things they could talk about. And they loved it. They said, Mom, I don't care if you come back, but we want to come back. So they, they did that for, gosh, my oldest did it for... Um, probably six or seven years. And, and he had a, a core group of, of those Alateens that stuck together. They learned to drink together. They, <laughs> they learned to do all kinds of stuff together. But, um, you know, the, three of them got to be in his wedding when he got married the first time. And it was, it was beautiful. And it, they, they got to grow up and, and program. My, Mike and I were in program. They were in tr- program. So it was a recovering family. We got to talk. They knew you know, when we talk about things that, you know, my, my, my kids knew that what we said, you know, we meant and stuff. And our, we thought things were going great. Like Mike says, five years into it, our youngest son got into trouble at school and got kicked out. I'd been working with, you know, this was my second sponsor at the time. And um, doing the deal, doing service work, doing all kinds of stuff. And he got kicked out of school. He was, we, I, I went to every private school he got kicked out of a um, a public school so the private schools I went to all of them trying to get him in it was middle middle uh, December of his eighth grade and nobody wanted somebody a graduating eighth grade class you know that had been kicked out for drugs <laughs> and I couldn't figure out why they didn't want him in their, his, their school but uh, there just wasn't room or whatever there was always an excuse and I just decided that you know if I couldn't get him in school I was going to have to quit, and I worked in a school, so I'd just quit, and I'd have to homeschool him. And about a month into, it was getting out. My sister had luckily had a farm, and uh, she had him working at her farm during the day so I could still work. And I told my, my sponsor, I was like, okay, if, the, you know, we were getting ready for Christmas break, and I said, if we haven't gotten him in school by then, I'm just going to, you know, give my notice at school and, and quit, and um, just homeschool. And she was like, Diane, why don't you let go and let God? I'm like, how's God getting him in school? You know, I've got to go and do all this interviews. So I had to do the footwork. And she says, yeah, but she'd heard it for a month, okay? And me complaining, I'm sure, and whining or whatever. And she's like, you know, just let go and let God. I said, okay, God's got till Friday. <laughs> I start little. This was Monday. He had to the end of the week. 
because that was like, it had been a month, and it was like time for Christmas break. And I thought, if he's not in there, I've, that's going to be my notice. God's got till then. <clears throat> surprise, surprise, Thursday night I get a call. It was the school that, uh, for Alternative Learning Center for the boys that had gotten in trouble before with guns or drugs. I didn't want him to go to school. I didn't go interview there. You know, that's not a place you interview. Um, that's just where they're sent. And uh, I was like, but he only had just a little marijuana in his shoe. He's not like them. You know, I need to get him in a good school, whatever. But I got that call. We had the interview on Friday, and God got him into school on Friday. It works. Sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. But that was that first little thing I gave to God, finally, because I was raised, you take care of everything here. God's got the, the rest of the world. I got here. I got my family. I'm, I'm the one in charge. I've got to do it. And so um, that was the best experience because I thought God was wrong getting him there. But, you know, he had to go from exactly a year from the day he entered and, and get out to get out. When I went to that graduation, he got to graduate from there middle of his freshman year, and they, you know, carried on his academics. It was great. He got all these awards there. It was amazing. He had fixed their computers. He'd set up their computers. He, he's a computer guy, and he um, had never, he'd been, he's one of those kids that never excelled at anything. He was, the older brother was the smart one that excelled and got everything, and he was the younger one that's cute and funny. Save a chair. Um, he is just, he's just wasn't always the smartest kid on the block or whatever. He was like trying to do his brother, but he got all the awards. He, it was, it was God saying, see, <laughs> I do know better. Because he was beaming. It was the first time I got to see him feel, you know, he was important and he'd done something. And uh, that helped me to uh, trust God and start giving more and more to God. And, of course, things just keep happening. Uh, and uh, we... Uh, went on I thought okay so he's learned his lesson in there they taught him you know consequences and all kinds of stuff about drugs and alcohol they really inform him on stuff so I thought okay good he's fixed (laughs) fast forward three years Um, he's 18 the older the older son's gone off to college and gotten engaged to get married like a few weeks later I mean a few years later when he graduates I want to keep a Thing am I. And he, um, th- he's 18, and he's moved into the good friend because I'd had you guys. You guys got me through my dad having to stroke, my dad passing away. My, my mom had passed away before program. Um, but got me to where I was, you know, things were good with my family, all my brothers and sisters. My, uh, my youngest son, I turned him loose, and I gave him to you. I, I gave him to God. 
and I told him when he wanted to move out. He hadn't. He was. He still had another year of high school. You know, I said, you'll either make it or you won't. One way or another, you'll figure it out. You know, it'll either be good or it won't. And um, you'll learn a lesson. One, you know, and I, I really turned him over. I got on my knees a lot. And uh, we were at a conference in Huntsville, um, just attending it. It was a four-day conference where we got to hear some wonderful speakers that had been in the pen, and they found program in there. And we came home that Sunday, and my oldest is home from college, and my youngest is from at our house and we were there and they said come on in sit down we're like y'all aren't supposed to be here um what's up and it was the youngest son said well um thursday night which is we had left on thursday to attend this conference he said well thursday night i got arrested three felonies and a misdemeanor um (laughs) and i'm like and why didn't you call and he's like well, you always told me if I got myself into trouble, I had to get myself out. And you were at a conference. So we knew, you know, you were where you were supposed to be, and we could take care of it. And his older brother got him out. The next day, he got to spend that day in jail. And, and uh, because of you, you held our hands through it all, and we got to, to sit with him and be with him and love him. He said he dropped out of, co- out of high school. I didn't know that. You know, I stayed out of his business. I let him have his stuff. You know, you did, you did that. Other than that, I would have been all over him, you know, before if I was not in program. I got to just love him. That was my job. That's my job is to love him, just where he's at, not to fix him anymore. I don't have to fix him. It's not that I don't pray for him, and I do. Um, but, you know, I, we told him, you know, you, you'll find the lawyer. You can pay for the lawyer. It's up to you. And, and he did. He took all of his old savings. Ever since he was a child, we had him always have a savings account. He had to use all that up. And he got a lawyer that, that gave him, you know, two-year probation for his first offenses. And he, he asked to move back home. And uh, we said, you can come back, but you're going back to school. You know, you'll have to go back to school and, and get your high school diploma. And uh, no drugs, no alcohol, none of that in the house because we didn't have that in the household anymore. So he did, and the end of that two years, I mean, things were fine. It, we repaired. He got out of high school and went to a little community college for a year. And at the end of that two-year probation, he zipped out to California where he could do what he wanted to do. And, you know, I prayed him, and I wished him well. I loved him. Uh, he was on his own. He lived on couches. He lived in cars. He lived with friends. He, he you know, did odd jobs or whatever, and I, you know, I had to stay out of his business. I knew it was his journey, not mine. I knew Mike and I had been on our journey, and I knew where it took us, and it took us to you. He knew where it could take him. He knew where to go. We'd, we'd planted the seed. You guys had planted the seed. So I, lo- I just got to love him, and thank you for that, so I didn't have to cut him off. Uh, same time that that arrest and everything happened, our youngest son, our oldest son, came to us, and he was away at college and called Mike, and he said, and he was going to get married like two and a half years, so we weren't plan- making plans yet or anything. He says, um, "Dad, how y'all, how, Mom, how y'all feel about being grandparents?" <laughs> I'd love to be someday. <laughs> how about August? And we're like. 
okay, August would do. I said, do you want to move the wedding up to the summer or the spring or something? He goes, why? I was like, oh, just a thought. Just, just a thought. Stay out of it, Diane. It's not my marriage. It's not mine. Y'all walk me through that. We got to see that, that, that my baby granddaughter born. I lived in fear. They didn't have intro. Oh, it's horrible. But Al and I got me through it. Two kids raising a baby. And um, we got to have her every weekend, you know, uh, to give them a break to grow up a little bit. And uh, the other grandma did too. And we got to love on that little. I, see, I had boys. I finally got my little girl. Got a little girl's room, doll rooms, all that stuff. And did the whole nine yards of girl stuff. And just, it was, I took all the spring breaks. Because we, we, I worked in a school, I could take her on all the trips and stuff. Just had the best time. Got to see her walk down the aisle with them when they got married two and a half years later, like they said they would. And I thought, okay, great. They made it through the first year and stuff. And, you know, with the water being turned off or lights being turned off, and God's got it. God's got it. Their journey, their journey. And so um, ended up, they got divorced um, uh, four years later. And I got to see my, my, my oldest son and, and my daughter-in-law walk through a divorce like I've never seen done before. Amazing. They worked it out among themselves, handed it to the lawyer, and said, file it. Can you do that? <laughs> Alateen. AA. Y'all gave it to him. We stayed connected. Like, that, like Kim talked about last night. We stay connected to my daughter-in-law. She's my ex-daughter-in-law, but I still call her my daughter-in-law. She's the mother of my granddaughter. We would have Christmases, Easter, every, you know, birthdays, whatever. He'd bring the girlfriend. She'd bring the boyfriend. It was a family affair. It was, we all got along. It was beautiful. And they co-parented that, that, that my granddaughter just beautifully. And, um. We still have a connection today with that. She calls us her parents. They moved away. Her parents moved away. I mean, her father never lived in Nashville, but her mother did and moved away. So we're the only parents that she's got there. She got married again two years ago, and she had us walk her down the aisle with her parents. (laughs) This thing works. It's given us so much. Um, so much has happened in the 30 years that we've been here. You know, life happens. Lose deaths, whatever. My son married again and remarried and, re-divor- and divorced again the second time. And it's just, and my sons both live out in California now. Um, my oldest son moved out after his, well, my granddaughter. Well, I walked her through high school and doing all that stuff that grandmas get to do with granddaughters. And I'd take her shopping and do all the fun stuff and take her on vacations. And she started dressing like a boy, get her hair cut like a boy, all that stuff. And I that's cool. I'd take her shopping in the boys' department. I got her tux for prom. I, you know, I love her. Any way she wants to be, I love her. She's my granddaughter that I knew. I knew her soul. I knew her heart. 
And uh, I thought, she can tell me whatever she wants to tell me when she's ready to tell me whatever she wants to do or be. And, uh, you know, I let it be. And then, as as Mike said, she came and told us right before she was going to graduate high school, um, you know, I'm going to walk as a boy. And uh, I've changed my name. In school, they know me as this name. I'm no longer, so don't put my name on that banner you want to put on, because that's what I was going to do. And he said, don't put that on there, because that's not the name I want to have up there. And I said, well, I can't put the other one. My family doesn't know the other name and stuff. I said, you can tell them whenever you're ready. And his, her, his, her, it's now his, his parents knew for three years that he was transgender. And he was afraid to tell us. But he did. I'm so grateful for them. Because he kept saying, y'all tell them, please. Y'all tell them, please. They said, nope, it's your job. That's you. You need to tell him when you're ready. And so he did. And uh, he went to college, and my oldest son eventually moved out to California because he said he'd like coming to California to visit anyway when he gets out of college. And so he was there. And when COVID hit, um, my uh, grandson tried to tried to do the online stuff and just couldn't do it. And uh, he quit college, and he continued to live in an apartment and tried to work and work was there was just wasn't any work and he couldn't pay his bills because his parents said as long as you're not in school you know you got to pay your own bills it's kind of what we did to our kids too and so they you know he couldn't make it so he came home and tried to live with his mom who had just gotten married and there was just no bedroom really for him there and so he came and asked to live with us last august so we've gotten to have him at our house for a year and I take every day and grab it and just love him the best way you know he's had a hard struggle it's very it's been very difficult and um he's taking care of our house now and he brought his cats and he's taking care of his cats and you know our house is 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 one just of love and that's you gave us that you gave us all how to do that because I didn't know how to do that. Everything was conditional before. I thought, you know, you had to do this to love you and all that. But I found, you know, the, the key and the secret is just love. And people are just people. Um, male, female, it doesn't matter, you know. I love them. And uh, it's, it's y'all have given us such a wonderful relationship. I have a relationship with my sisters and my brothers today that I wouldn't trade for anybody's relationship with Mike. I got to find out who I was and what I liked. And uh, you guys gave me that. Thank you so much. And and I want to close. I know I've probably forgotten something, but I'll leave this up to God, so he'll tell me later if I, if I forgot something. So it's all, you know, all is well. It's a saying I love. Yesterday's ODAT reading is one that I usually close with, August 6th. This is a day which God has given into my hands. If I could only realize what a tremendous gift this is, I would use every moment of it to make my life more serene, more rewarding. And I'm going to skip down to... I would notice interesting things. The expression on people's faces. A plant growing on my windowsill. The grace and charm of a child. An arrangement of clouds. The clouds... 
today, there are wonders all around me if I will only open my eyes and enjoy them. I didn't, I went through life with my eyes closed and my ears closed, and you guys have opened my eyes. Thank you.